Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books in History, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Mark Clovis, and today I'm speaking with Jace Mom, author of the award-winning book, Globalizing Automobilism, Exuberance and the Emergence of Layered Mobility. Jace, welcome to the New Books Network. Thank you, Mark, uh, and thank you for inviting me to uh, take part in this New Books Network uh, interview. Well, it was our pleasure. Thank you for accepting our invitation. Uh, I was wondering if you could start us off by telling our listeners something about yourself. Okay. Um, I have a, a double academic background. Um, my uh, Well, I, I started as a literary historian and uh, got a master's degree in that. But after that, uh, well, that was during the... Uh, the student movement in uh, my native city in in the Netherlands. And during that uh, uh, era, I had my first uh, car driving experience. I don't know whether you have the same experience, but I think many people do. And I was totally taken aback by the enormous multiplication of my foot pressure resulting in the drive of a, a nearly one-ton vehicle. Uh, uh, so that was fascinating to me, and it, it, it more or less <laughs> incited me to study uh, technology and car technology. So uh, I decided first to become an automotive uh, mechanic, uh, following uh, uh, auto mechanics courses, and then decided to go to uh, a polytechnic of automotive technology in the Netherlands and, and got a, an engineering degree. Um, so I, this double background more or less <laughs> shaped the way I think about cars and out about uh, mobility. Uh, as a result of that, I first worked for a while in Paris, uh, France, uh, at Renault, developing uh, well, a very, very, very modest role in developing an engine. I was specialized in, in, in engine technology. And later, uh, I became a freelance uh, publicist and translator of car buff books and following uh, car technology conferences and reporting on that in the, in the Dutch and Belgian uh, engineering press. And... Uh, after that, I, I uh, became. They invited me to become a professor of uh, engine technology at the same polytechnic where I studied, and um, teaching uh, car engine technology. And it was in that position in the in the late nineteen eighties that 
um, this electric vehicle buzz came up. And to be honest, I, I, re- I, I thought this electric vehicle, will that be a kind of threat to my profession? So, uh, and I decided to study the history of, uh, of the electric vehicle. And that became the topic of my, my dissertation uh, at Eindhoven University of Technology. And uh, so this first book that was published in, in a translated version in 2004 uh, uh, asked the question, why did the electric vehicle constantly fail since it's uh, seemingly successful starting start uh, in, in, in the late 19th century and early 20th century? So... Uh, that more or less uh, started my publication career, so to say. And on the basis of that, I became a professor at Eindhoven University of Technology uh, and uh, decided to, as, as the conclusion of my, my dissertation was that the electric vehicle did not fail because of technological uh, factors, as many people will have would have it, uh, but mostly uh, because of cultural factors, because many people at the time in the early uh, ni- uh, 20th century considered the electric vehicle not as a real car, I decided to, to study that so-called real car and, and, and ask myself, so if the electric vehicle failed because of that, um, perhaps I should uh, try to find out why the the competition, the internal combustion engine car, was so uh, successful. Uh, and that led to the publication of an, uh, my first monograph of uh, Western automobilism called Atlantic Automobilism, uh, where I coined the, um, the, the concept of the adventure machine. That was my answer to my initial question. Uh, the, the, the internal combustion engine car was so successful because it promised uh, the uh, the potential uh, uh, motorist a kind of adventure in in, in three in three aspects uh, in speed uh, racing in, in in space touring and even in in function uh, tinkering so this triple adventure more or less uh, accompanied the the early history of the of the automobile and in that book, I also uh, could um, could uh, question uh, three um, uh, sorry uh, two uh, what I called master narratives of of the of the traditional history of the automobile, and these two master narratives are first uh, the what I call the the toy to tool thesis that the success of the car uh, can be explained because first it was a, a toy for the for the rich and then it became a tool for the uh, for the middle classes and and I refuted that that thesis uh, uh, claiming that um, even if the car became a bit utilitarian uh, it still uh, feeds on the the um, the thrill of driving, uh, and I, my, my my second uh, point was that I refuted the thesis of the U.S. as a model of a car history. That is also what you see around you in many 
histories of national uh, car cultures where more or less the U.S. is used as a kind of uh, a template to write that history. And, and in my book, I wrote a history of Western automobilism in, in, in which I distinguish between two large uh, uh, cultures, an American one and, and clearly a real European one. And that brings us to uh, this book, because one of the things you do in it is you expand your focus away from the Atlantic paradigm of, uh, you know, of, of Western car uh, uh, and Western mobilism to discussing it on, on a more global level. What led you to uh, undertake this book and, and, and what determined uh, where you would go from your last work? Yeah, yeah. The, um, it, it's uh, an interesting question because, you know, I could have stopped at there and said, well, now I have made my point and, and I go to other topics, but something uh, kept nagging me. And, and that was that I was describing a kind of culture of only a minority of, of the world population. And, and so... And it was only later that I realized that. And the, the reason that I realized that uh, was that I was uh, applying for a, a project uh, s- um, subsidy at a, a European scale, a, a big uh, a big amount of money. I was rejected, by the way, but from my university, I, I got, a, a, got a kind of consolation prize, quite substantial, which enabled me to... Uh, to to travel and organize workshops in um, beyond Europe, so to speak, in South America and especially in Asia, and 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 it was there that I I realized that you know as long as you write a kind of westernized, if I may say so, westernized way, uh, westernized form of automobile culture history then you miss the majority of the population in the in the, in the world uh, and if you try to write a history from their perspective it might be quite different uh, you you might you you get an, a different story so in that sense uh, the, the 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 book we are discussing here globalizing automobilism is a kind of answer to my first book atlantic automobilism it's also uh, the first of uh, two uh, volumes, um, which I together I would call a kind of world history of, of, of uh, car culture. And as such, it is a kind of intermediary volume between uh, an Atlantic car culture book and, and, and the third book, of which I am currently uh, uh, proofreading uh, the proofs, uh, the third book is called um, uh, Pacific Automobilism. So this book more or less analyzes the process uh, that of which in which uh, the car culture is transferred from a purely westernized form into a global form, which I then call uh, a Pacific. Uh, because of the uh, shift in emphasis between the Western and a non-Western uh, uh, perspective on, on car culture. 
part of that uh, uh, folk uh, broadening that you describe is a broadening not just of the geographic uh, focus of your book, but also the whole notion of mobility. And that's one of the things that I was fascinated by when I was reading your book about how you are, you, you point out how to talk just about the automobile ignores a lot of factors that matter when you're talking about the, the non-Western world and how there is, in fact, this this broader uh, mobility uh Maybe revolution's too strong a word, but but evolution where you're seeing uh, bicycles. The the one that particularly fascinated me because I had not read anything about it was was rickshaws, uh, the the development of of electric uh, uh, you know trams and so forth, and and how this is is integral to the story of the expansion of automobilism you know globally. I was wondering if you could start us off by talking about global mobility how you chose to to uh you know you know folk develop your, your your analysis of it and 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 why it was that you felt that the story really was incomplete without including those elements as well yeah yeah um well i i could have i you know you can conceive a world mobility history by writing histories of let's say continental car cultures and then repeat more or less what I have had done in my Atlantic Automobilism book. Um, most uh, scholars of of the car, of car culture and mobility culture, uh, probably will fall into that trap. I would say, um, and 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 uh, I did uh, in, originally. I fall, uh, fell also in that trap, but. You know what? What inspired me to go beyond that is that on the basis of the the stipend that I got from a university, I not only visited uh, organized uh, local workshops with uh, scholars in Asia and in South America and also in Africa about uh, their local mobility uh, cultures, but also um, I could witness uh, the other forms of mobility cultures uh, myself. Uh, I remember that in India, for instance, my host uh, brought me to uh, a a workshop where they were constructing bodies for buses, aluminum uh, bodies, with their bare hands and bare feet. Uh, I also remember... uh, visiting uh, a, a, wor- a workshop for uh, rickshaws in, in Kolkata, Kolkata, Calcutta, um, where uh, people, uh, the, the, the rickshaw pullers, uh, were uh, sleeping around on, on a concrete floor. And in, in Bangladesh, I, I visited this uh, notorious beach where the Western world uh, leave behind their big uh, uh, ocean steamers. Uh, uh, their ships that are um, uh, demolished there and 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 uh, recycled, kind of hell on earth. So that that is how I realized that if you write the history of uh, the mo- those uh, of mobilities in those areas in those countries, um, you automatically come up with the concept that more or less uh, governed my entire book, which I I called Layered Mobility. So um, while the car indeed uh, 
spread about the globe. Um, at the same time, uh, underneath that, there was a big substrate and much more important, especially more important for the majority of people, uh, who developed a totally different form of mobility, like walking, cycling, indeed rickshaw, uh, pooling, uh, all kinds of what Western observers uh, are, you know, are uh, uh, tend to see as backward technology, but I think that's the wrong approach. So you can choose between two types of history writing here. You can say I focus on the on the on on the innovations, on what what uh, you call mod- modernization processes only, and and consider that as a kind of endpoint uh, uh, of a development. And, and the second approach, and that is the one I chose, is no, you should not focus on that because you miss the majority of the people's form of, of mobility. Uh, you should focus on this double thing, this, this layeredness, this multiple mobilities idea where the majority of people uh, use different types of, of moving around Whereas there is a new layer uh, superposed upon that uh, um, of automobilism driven by a very specific layer of, uh, of society. Mm-hmm. I was waiting to perhaps explain the different degrees of, of, of mobility development in various parts of the world in the first half of the 20th century. You talk about it nationally, but you also group them regionally. What were some of the differences in these regions and and what were some of the forces that were were driving the development of mobility in these various parts of the world during that time? Uh, Yeah, well, maybe, uh, first of all, I I, I should... Uh, tell you that um, uh, the first chapter of what of the book is is about kind of rehearsing or retelling the same uh, period that I described in Atlantic automobilism, but then from uh, hopefully from the perspective of the non-Western uh, um, mobility uh, mobilist or or, or uh, people in general. So. Uh, the first chapter deals with uh, the period 1895 to, to uh, 1940 and and introduces in the first place new vehicles you also you already mentioned uh, the rickshaw which was very very important often uh, pulled uh, by rickshaw pullers so not the cycle very uh, version but really the hand-pulled rickshaw version, but also um, one-wheeled uh, barrows in China and head portraits in, in, in Africa and, um, and so on. So, first of all, this uh, focusing on other areas in the world resulted in, in, uh, in um, a, a couple of new vehicles, so to speak, of different vehicles, alternative vehicles, to be dealt with. That's that's one. And uh, secondly, um, there is also uh, an, another point that is that 
you find when you go beyond the West. And uh, that is the aspect of uh, migration and refugees. So uh, another form of mobility that is mostly uh, uh, described and analyzed by uh, migration studies and, and and not included in in the history of mobility normal. But my 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 point is, and my plea would be that a true um, world history of mobility should include migration, even if in terms of mobility it is not very spectacular. Most of this migration takes place uh, on foot first, and then by planes or boats. Uh, and the car has only a very uh, minor role. So that's a second point that you find as soon as you go beyond the West. And and the third point, and that is, I think, the main point is what I already uh, mentioned, is, that is this layered mobility where uh, um, the majority of people uh, drive or move uh, differently than uh, this layer of, of the middle classes. And one point I would like to emphasize, uh, and that is something that you find in nearly every area uh, beyond the West, and that is what, what, what econ- economists have called um, informal transport. Uh, I was really taken aback by the enormous uh, Im- uh, role of uh, informal transport in nearly every country uh, history that I visited. And and uh, so informal transport is the transport, for instance, uh, where um, uh, minibuses and jeepneys uh, in, in Philippine, Philippines and, and minibuses in Africa and in and many uh, Asian countries are um, uh, transporting by far the majority of uh, the people in especially urban context. Uh, um, but apart from the minibuses, we also have uh, the, the motorcycle taxis, for instance, uh, enormous amounts of motorcycle fleets that uh, proliferated uh, after the Second World War, uh, and um, the, the details of which I, I investigate further in, in the third volume. It was, it was one of the things I was thinking as I was reading it was that while you do have this great non-Western perspective, that there's this persistent Western influence. And, and that was one of the, 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 the themes I, I, I took from your book, uh, not only from that chapter, but from uh, your, when you were talking about uh, layered development in, in, in the second half of the 20th century. But you have uh, with the development of of uh, you know, of uh, Mobility in Africa is, 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 of course, heavily influenced by uh, the colonial presence. You have in, in Latin America the the uh, shadow of the United States and, 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 and more broadly Northern America and, and how this, you know, oftentimes uh, has an influence o- over the que- over issues of how mobility develops in, in these parts of the world during this time. Yes, that's true, and uh, indeed, you 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 bring me back to to uh, the central chapter in in this book, um, which is perhaps a bit surprisingly uh, uh, about about the West, uh, the, what I call the exuberant form of of mobility. Um, uh, 
I, I describe in, in, in great detail how um, you, um, what one could call the zenith of, of automobilism happened in the 1950s and 60s in, in the United States, but also in, in Europe and to a certain extent in, in Japan, um, where uh, something really remarkable happened because in uh, on the one hand, uh we know all these uh pictures of uh gas gusless american gas gusless uh and and the movies that uh, have been made uh, around it um that's one aspect of of this exuberance um the middle class uh i mean i haven't mentioned that but the middle class uh, i analyzed also already in atlantic Autom- automobilism that uh, without the middle class, there is no car culture. So the American middle class uh, in the 1950s and 60s started to get bored more or less after a while, after, let's say, uh, the first decade of exuberance. And you see that especially in in novels and even pop songs and rock songs that I, that I analyzed uh, uh, especially. Um, what you see is what I called the absent car. I mean, the the car in the United States, but also to a certain extent in Europe, became so ubiquitous in, in the first, let's say, 25 years after the Second World War that people um, get, let's say, got used to its exciting uh, aspects and and more or less took it. I, I'm not saying saying that they became a utilitarian tool. That's not my point. My my point was that that what I call the adventure adventure machine uh, before the war became more or less tamed. Uh, that was true for uh, especially the masculine part of of the middle classes in in the West. But at the same time, you see something else coming up. And all, that is also uh, based on my analysis of, of a, a, a special form of sources, uh, which I used also in Atlantic Automobilism, that is uh, belletristic sources, so novels, poems, songs, games even. And if you analyze these from, from the, uh, the mainstream novels, uh, a la, uh, what is it, John Updike, and so on, until... Uh, the uh, what is it? The Fast and Furious uh, Hollywood movies. You see this dichotomy coming up in the Western car culture. Of on the one hand, uh, this getting used and nearly bored by automobilism, and on the other hand, um, this enormous, nearly carnivalesque way of dealing with uh, with. Uh, automobilism um, in movies, for instance. Uh, well, we, we all know the, mo- the, the Mad Max movie is, for instance, a, 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 a case in point. So what is happening here, I, I asked myself, and my conclusion is that, in general, I think mobility history suffered from a lack of class analysis. And if you, if you bring class back into... Uh, mobility history, you have to conclude that 
on the one hand, there is this middle class that more or less invented the the uh, the adventure machine and more or less got used to it and 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 perhaps even ashamed uh, about it also because of its uh, devastating uh, fatalities that it caused in in the course of the history but on the other hand you have this popular culture where the car as a kind of very aggressive machine is still uh, celebrated and and uh, yeah, still celebrated in especially movies and television television series, and and that culture is driven not so much by the upper middle class, I would say, but by the lower middle class and 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 the working class and the classes or groups uh, uh, beneath that, if I may say so. Um, so there is this cleft between two cultures. Uh, um, emerging in the Western world uh, that uh, uh, has big repercussions for uh, the uh, the history of mobility, uh, world mobility later in, in the century. So my point here is that uh, this double-headed culture uh, did, was not so much exported as such to the other parts of the world by the West. That's that. That's the, the topic of my my uh, last chapter in in the book, uh, um, where I analyze uh, you know the term of development. And what is remarkable then that in this exuberant uh, culture period, also uh, especially in America, um, in the sixties and seventies, um, this missionary idea of spreading the car culture came up um, in the form of uh, development. So the rest of the world uh, should be developed uh, according to Walt Rostov, who, who, who is famous because of his book, uh, uh, Stages of Economic Growth. Um, the the pro- process of development should be such that uh, we in the West allow others backward countries to 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 uh, develop themselves to our level that idea uh, was first uh, formulated uh, way before the second world war but then got a special cold war uh, uh, flavor in the in the era of uh, the presidency of of the of kennedy who uh, coined this, uh, what is it, Alliance for Progress idea, where he, um, American companies and the American uh, uh, administration uh, aimed at developing uh, South America uh, to their level, so to speak. And, and the remarkable thing here is that that happened through uh, the uh, proliferation of infrastructure, especially roads, highways. And, and we see then this process um, uh, supported by the World Bank and uh, the IMF by uh, consultants uh, from the West um, and even the United Nations in the end, the Peace Corps and so on, to spread this gospel of uh, um, road building 
connected to modernization over the world. That was one of the many things about the book I thought was was very educational for me. I mean, until I had read it, I was never aware of this organization called the International Road Federation. And you yet you talk about how it has this influence in terms of uh, of lobbying for roads, and, and it, you you talk about the you know the what some might regard as the chicken egg argument of, you know, which comes first, the roads or the cars. And you make it very clear that they're, they're pushing for roads, you know, well before you have the develop, you know, the, the, the full scale automobilism that comes with the expansion of middle class culture in uh, a lot of the non-Western world after uh, independence. Yes, that's true. Uh... I, I I think that uh, yeah in, indeed the the um, the conventional story is that um, first came the car and then um, national governments built roads and that's true in the West for the rest uh, uh, and uh, and it took let's say uh, half a century to get what I call the car society on its feet more or less. But if you look at the other uh, part, other parts in the world, the majority of the people, they uh, they experienced the proliferation of car culture totally differently um, because it started by building roads way before the breakthrough of uh, national car cultures. Of course, there were cars in China in 1920 uh, or in Chile, in, in, in the 1930s, uh, but there was no mass automobilism going on, and that only happened after the moment that these highways were built and and developed. And, and the money came from, uh, from the World Bank uh, and from IMF, and uh, so... And, and it was considered to be... Um, uh, uh, yeah, modernization through road building, and and we should not forget that it was it. I'm not claiming there is a conspiracy here, but uh, I was really taken aback by when you read the reports, especially by the World Bank, uh, the eagerness to uh, to spread the gospel of the automobile and of of roads against trains and against railways, uh, I found that staggering. And um, most of these people, uh, you know, thought they were doing uh, the best they could do to to, uh, lift up uh, backward people into the paradise of modernization. Uh, But what they, and, 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 and the role of uh, the social scientists and social sciences should not be uh, forgotten here. Uh, I, in, in my book, I quote a couple of reports that um, that try to describe what they call the mobile mobile personality. So modernization and mobility. Well, I'm not I'm not claiming that modernization is mobility, of course. Uh, that is not the case. But up to now, modernization has been analyzed by loads and loads of scholars, by often by leaving mobility out. And that, I think, is a big error. Uh, mo- 
modernity, when social scientists uh, analyzed other countries' modernity and modernization, especially, for instance, in the the Middle East, they formulated uh, or they they tested uh, uh, in their surveys uh, the fact uh, where the the mobile personality, as they called it, uh, uh, emerged in such a country. And the mobile personality was someone who was uh, uh, used or uh, willing to change, uh, read uh, uh, newspapers, uh, and and was a kind of replica of, let's say, a Westerner. Uh, and if, uh, only if such a, uh, a mobile personality was uh, found there, uh, a car society could emerge. That's one of the things that I found most fascinating about your book was how you take the notion, the the, the concept of automobilism, and show how through it you can understand so much about the twentieth century, uh, both in the West and and in the broader world, how, how it, it intersects and intertwines with all these elements of a class of, of development of, of, of culture. And, and, and it really does show just how, you know, profoundly influential the automobile automobile has been throughout all, all of this, even for people who may never actually have uh, ridden in one. Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, I, I think, and, and, you know, going beyond the West for me was a, was a roller coaster, of course, but, but also, uh, it bounces back to the way you uh, describe and analyze Western mobility. Uh, that is one of the conclusions of my book. Without uh, 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 visiting the, the the global South, you cannot um, really analyze Western mobility as well. Uh, this is, of course, a thesis not by me, but by the uh, the Komarovs uh, couple. Uh, they have said that the West has always used uh, the the non-West as a kind of laboratory for for its own development. Uh, and I knew, of course, that this thesis existed, but I only after I finished uh, the the analysis in these two volumes, I really realized that how true that is that. Uh, for instance, this layered mobility, that's a nice uh, example. Uh, it's not so that this is the privilege or the monopoly of the non-Western mobility culture. You also see that in the West only, we tend to overlook that, you know. Uh, still, uh, well, I, I don't have the, the figures now in my head, but still uh, a large proportion of uh, families in the West do not own a car. Uh, and uh, we hist- historians of mobility tend to overlook that. And of course, you know, we, meanwhile, we know more or less that in, in big cities like Amsterdam, uh, probably in New York, I don't know about New York, but in Amsterdam, the majority of the, the trips are not done by car. So, and as we are uh, fast moving into a kind of urbanized world, this uh, this phenomenon will will expand. So, this whole idea of idea of, of layeredness that we think 
uh, well, that was invented in, in perhaps in uh, in uh, in the global south, uh, also uh, happens and is to be found and should be the basis of analyses of, of Western mobility. That's one of my main conclusions here. And, uh, and, and the second conclusion, I think, is um, in general, how does a car culture um, uh, emerge? And um, I would say that uh, the, 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 the word here is middle class. Um, I already in Atlantic automobilism had a hunch that, for instance, Portugal before the war did not have a very broad uh, car culture, and if and when I uh, investigated that country, I, I, I came to the conclusion that that was mostly because in during the fascist uh, uh, period. Uh, the, the the middle class was was uh, very uh, uh, small so and and uh, so uh, the point is that if if there is no middle class or the middle class for instance in indonesia i i described it in my third volume indonesia after the second world war also had a very a small middle class and and automobilism did not really uh Emerge, so that that is a, a second conclusion, and um, one can even uh, make a step further along that line, because uh, in reverse, if uh, a country or if a government wants to uh, stimulate the uh, a, a local car culture, then it should build a, a middle class. And we see this process, uh, uh, for instance, happening, we saw it uh, happening in, in China, where from the, let's say, 1978, when Deng Xiaoping uh, came to power, um, the central government deliberately uh, uh, started uh, building a middle class by, by let's say, for instance, by, by giving judges and, and other officials uh, suddenly a higher salary uh, and by stimulating this housing bubble and so forth and so on. So, um, and you see this process happening uh, in several uh, countries, also in India, but in China it is uh, the most clear where uh, very uh, consciously and very deliberately this uh, middle class idea, including its possession of cars, uh, can be followed in, in very great detail. Uh, well, you've mentioned that you are currently reading the proofs of uh, Pacific automobilism. Uh, do you have a publication date for that book? Uh, yes, uh, I'm, I'm currently uh, uh, doing the proofreading, and um, if I uh, uh, if I can do what the publisher asked me to do in terms of uh, keeping my deadline, uh, the the book will will be published this uh, September. Uh, and in in fact, it will it will deal with the results of this transformation, uh, which happened in the in the first uh, quarter century after the uh, the Second World War, 
and it will deal with uh, the result of this, let's say, pacification or uh, uh, transformation from an Atlantic to a, to a Pacific world culture of the automobile uh, in the period from 1970 to 2015. And uh, one one of the things I'm currently reading, for instance, uh, is, a, is a chapter or a, a section of a chapter about uh, what I speak also uh, already in, in this book, uh, that is the enormous amount of victims, fatalities that this whole uh, car culture uh, uh, produced during the last century. It's really in the tenth of mil- tens of millions of, of victims. And um, so we should not forget that uh, which is a bit un- uh, underdeveloped in, in this book, uh, should not forget that uh, automobilism has a, a, quite a, a dark side. Let's, let's keep it at that. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I do look forward to, to reading uh, the, the book when it comes out, especially as, you know, given how you, you're taking the story and, 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 and building upon it from the, these last two books which which are make for such fascinating reading uh uh professor mom uh, thank you very much for taking some time out of your schedule to speak with us i hope you have a wonderful day thank you very much